Hello and welcome to the 1 Peter 5 podcast, episode 2. My name is Steve Skojak. On today's episode, I interview Father Richard Heilman, who tells us something out of the ordinary. And so we actually got the, this table from the narthex in our church, and we brought it down to the strip club. We hate to leave you hanging, but you'll just have to stick around to find out what happened next. You're listening to the One Peter Five Podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. Hello, America. I've always wanted to say, hello, America. It's a little bit ambitious at this point in the game, I think. You know, we've got maybe a dozen subscribers to the podcast, but you're an important 12 people to me. So I wanted to thank you for joining us. Don't mean to be facetious. It's been a long week already. I'm very tired. We have a lot going on on the website. A lot of work being put in, a lot of good stuff coming out. We're finishing up our first month online. We will be officially one month old. I guess it'll actually be August 31st because we started on the 1st. Um, So 30 days online, and we're kind of rocking it. We've had some great traffic. We've had some great interaction. We've added some new features to the blog. We're bringing in new writers all the time, and we've got a stable of consistently awesome writers um, that I'm so thankful for. So I don't want to spend a lot of time tonight, today, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking just by myself because I'm not that interesting. But you know who is? Is Father Richard Heilman, who will be my guest on this episode. And I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I'll let you in on a little secret. I've already actually recorded that segment. Because through the magic of podcasting, I can edit in a nonlinear fashion, asynchronously, non-chronologically. So we're going to be jumping to that segment soon. But what I wanted to do, I wanted to give most of the hour to Father Heilman because he has a lot to offer. It's a really good conversation, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Really enjoyed talking with him. So how's everybody doing anyway? You guys good? It's kind of stressful right now, isn't it? I don't know if you're feeling it. It's a lot of stress in the world. Watching the news, you know, just being alive, dealing with the challenges that we have to face. I said something um, yesterday on Facebook where I kind of wondered out loud, you remember when faces of death used to be a thing? When, When I was in school... Faces of Death was, you know, this video series that people would would somehow get their hands on. You had to know the right place to go, or maybe it was the wrong place. So you could get your hands on these VHS tapes. They were snuff films. They were films of people getting killed by various things. You know, and in fourth and fifth grade, or even in high school, people would kind of they'd come up to you and be like, Dude, have you ever seen Faces of Death? I was watching this one my brother this elephant totally stepped on this guy's head you know and so whatever so they would be just this sort of series of low quality videos faces of death and it always sounded horrifying to me and i was like i really don't want to watch that thanks appreciate it not looking uh for that kind of entertainment but have you noticed Your social media feeds have turned into faces of death, whether you're on Twitter or on Facebook or just, you know, reading the news. Have you ever seen so many people killed in such brutal ways so graphically as you've seen in the last two months? I I, I don't think that I ever thought in my life I would see children running around holding up the heads 
of the people that they or their family members beheaded. The brutality that we are watching unfold before our eyes is unprecedented. Maybe not in history, but in modern times and in, you know, a civilized world. It's barbarism of an absolutely incredible degree. And I suppose we shouldn't be that surprised by it. I mean, we do this to the unborn day in and day out, right? But we don't see that every day. These images are so disturbing. It's people being buried alive and lined up in pits and shot and beheaded with, you know, little knives. It cannot be a good way to go. horrifying the faces of death our our lives have become one big long high definition faces of death volume it's really disturbing and i think it speaks to the need that we have to have the conversation we're going to have today with father heilman spiritual warfare we got to be ready to fight this. we got to be ready to fight it, you know, in ways that maybe are more subtle than being lined up against a wall and shot, although that could be in our future. The world's becoming a pretty scary place, but even if it's not that, it's depressing to see this happening and not have any idea how to help people. I don't know about you, but I think we need God's consolation and, and his strength more than ever. And there's a temptation to just ignore it completely because it's horrifying or a temptation to obsess about it too much, which is also not good. We need to be strong. And I don't even know what that means when you're facing an enemy that's so barbaric so I'm not going to hold you up much longer I just wanted to encourage everyone let's pray for each other let's get through this together let's stay strong let's stay focused let's live our faith we can do this don't try to do it by yourself with God all things are possible back in a minute with Father Harmon the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist you're listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast my guest today is Father Richard Heilman He is the pastor of St. Mary of Pine Bluff in the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin. He is a regular guest host on Relevant Radio's The Inner Life and is the founder of the Knights of the Divine Mercy, which is an apostolate for Catholic men's faith formation. He is also the author of the Church Militant Field Manual and companion website, churchmilitant.com, dedicated to helping Catholics understand and train for their role in the mission of combating evil and rescuing the souls of those loved ones who have lost the precious gift of faith. Most recently, he is the man behind our popular ongoing series on spiritual warfare at 1 Peter 5. I am very pleased to welcome Father Hellman to the show. So, welcome, Father. Hey, great to be with you, Steve. So, it's our second episode, uh, and I went straight for the big guests. And I took the time, actually, to look up Pine Bluff, Wisconsin today. And Wikipedia says, quote, Pine Bluff is an unincorporated community located in the town of Cross Plains, Dane County, Wisconsin, United States. And that's all there is. Right. There's no more information. Actually, no, that's not true. It says that it's 997 feet above sea level. There's all that right. as well. So is there an official population count? Uh, I think 18. No, I, I mean, <laughs> we're, we, we're right on the edge of Madison. And it's just, it's just beautiful. There's rolling hills, farmland, all kinds of stuff. But we're virtually right on the edge of Madison. I mean, our... Uh, Bishop O'Connor uh, Pastoral Center, the diocese, um, is only about oh boy, seven and a half minutes down the road from me. So, you know, we're right we're right here on the edge of Madison. We're, we kind of consider ourselves a little 
suburb, if you will, of Madison. But you, you know, you just you just drive a few miles out of town, and you're in God's country. It's That's beautiful awesome. out here. But it's, yeah. safe, it's safe to say it's a small town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, you have got close to 1,700 Facebook friends. You have a bigger online footprint, I'm pretty sure, than the Vatican. <laughs> uh, you've written a couple books. You've started some big initiatives. And now you're working with us in addition to the rest of it. So how did you get to where you are now where you're you know, a, a parish priest, but you're doing all this great stuff online? Well, you know, I, I do have three parishes, but they're, none of them are super big. But okay. uh, well, they're all out this way. I guess uh, Mount Horeb is about seven miles down the road and then about a beautiful, beautiful little uh, country church, uh, Holy Redeemer, out, you know, just about 10 miles south of Mount Horeb. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that um, it was early on in, in my time here. I, I got here in 2004, and um, shortly after I got here, I um, I was driving down the street, and it was just before Lent, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, there, there was this um, – uh, nice little, you know, homey, as much as a sports bar could be homey, uh, down the road had, you know, sand volleyball and the little, uh, little, um, uh, baseball right. diamond in the back and stuff like that. You know, so, you know, kind of, kind of homespun, but, uh, we're driving down the street and all of a sudden there's a sign out in front of it and says, uh, some kind of gentleman's club. I don't even want to tell you the name of it. It was kind uh. of raw, but, uh, anyway, I'm going, what the heck? You know, we just got here or I just got here as pastor and I'm going, you know, what did you have in mind, Lord? You know, so, right. yeah. So anyways, that kind of got things going because, uh, right after that, I'm just kind of laying in bed and I'm, you know, praying and, and, and thinking and, and all of a sudden, you know, as I'm laying there, this, this, uh, you know, it wasn't like I had this, uh, supernatural image or anything like that. This real intense thought came to my mind and it was just miracle mile. And I, I, in that moment, I kind of pictured going down to the corner where that sports bar was, coming back up into our cemetery where this, this beautiful, uh, life-size crucifix of our Lord in the cemetery. And, uh, and I, I thought, you know, we're supposed to pray and walk, you know, right here in this little burg in, uh, Pine Bluff. And so I got a group together that wouldn't think I'm absolutely insane, you know, for doing this. <laughs> but uh, I got them together and I said, you know, we need to do this. And they're like, yeah, we do. So we came up with we're, that we're going to do the Stations of the Cross. And we actually got the neighbors going down the street to allow us to put little crosses, little like three-foot-high crosses. We put Roman numerals on them. And um, we, and we set it up so that uh, by now it's about it, it's uh, Palm Sunday. And uh, we're getting ready to invite people and, and, and come and do that. And we got a little um, uh, bin out in front, and we put the prayer sheets in there. But we also gave them each a, a little white ribbon, about, I don't know, about uh, 12 inches long. And we just said, hold on to that while you're praying. We'll tell you later what that's all about. Anyway, so we did it, and we had like two, 300 people out there. We were walking and praying. Wow. The stations of the cross, and um, we got uh, we went down the street. We came back up. We went up behind my rectory into the cemetery, and up on that hill, that beautiful cross. There's a uh, hundred year old stone uh, kneeler in front of it with a wrought iron bar. And I says, "Okay, now uh, just tie off your white ribbon onto that bar like you would <laughs> light a candle in the church." And uh, and they're like, okay, you know. But anyways, the idea is is that, uh, and we explain this to the folks too, is that white that white ribbon is a symbol of purity. Sure. And so anti pornography. So we were, you know, we were offering that prayer to our Lord, and then we just left the bin out in front and just told everybody, you know, come on, anytime you want, morning, noon, or night. And I'd look out my window and I'd see mothers pushing a stroller. I'd see groups of priests and just, uh, you know, in a couple weeks pass, a few months pass, and all of a sudden, you know, seven months later. Um, the strip club was gone. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it just, it was amazing. And during that time, I had somebody, one of the neighbors come up to me and he says, you know, you can pray all you want, but uh, it's going to come down to the lawyers and judges. And I says, well, <laughs> well, you're right. I wanted to come down to the lawyers and judges, but I want God to pick just the right lawyer and just the right judge. And that's exactly what happened. A, a lawyer came along that says, I can find any loophole into any liquor law, you know, leave it to me. And he did. And then he found, we found in this Madison area, you know, with liberalism, they say it's uh, 77 square 
miles surrounded by reality, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, we found the, the only judge, we're told later, that would be sympathetic to this and ruled in our favor. And uh, out they went. And we, it was gone in seven months. And, and so shortly after that, I said, you know, we need to be doing more of this. You know, this is spiritual warfare. Right. And, and, um, and so I got a group of guys together and I says, you know, let's have a meeting. And so we actually got the, this table from the narthex in our church, and we brought it down to the strip club. Now it's back to this kind of homey, you know, sports bar. And we right. said, can we can we set it up there? And they said, sure. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh, we're nuts. So we actually positioned it up in the ceiling was still the plate that held the pole mm. uh, for the strippers, and we positioned it right underneath that, and, it, and it's a round table. And uh, we 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 started right underneath that, and we got the blessed salt out, the holy water. <laughs> uh, we got the prayers of the church, and we exercised that, that place and, and blessed it, and reclaimed surrendered ground back to the Lord. And that was the first meeting of the Knights of Divine Mercy. And we coined wow. that term because uh, John Paul II was uh, was promoting that Divine Mercy so much during that time. And um, and from that point on, you know, we just been uh, taking on uh, different. Um, uh, missions like this, campaigns, if you will, and uh, it's it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. So it's kind of just snowballed from all that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you actually wound up answering the next question I was going to to start asking you, which was about the focus you have on spiritual warfare. And and I was aware of that story, you know, to some extent, but not the full transition of how this sort of led to those other apostolates. So a few months ago, before I had really gotten to know you at all, um, I actually picked up one of your combat rosaries, uh, which is available on your website, churchmilitant.com. I highly recommend it. I love it. Uh, It actually helped me to start saying the rosary again, which was a habit I had fallen out of. Um, because it's the kind of rosary that it's durable and I kept it on me all the time and I'd stick my hand in my pocket and it was there and you, you think about it and there's just something about it that well, it's a very manly rosary and uh, it's appealing in that way and it's got the St. Benedict Medal and the Miraculous Medal and can you tell me how that rosary came about? Yeah, it- you know, Padre Pio said, uh, you know, he'd say, bring me my weapon, you know, right. and that's what he called the rosary. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I happened upon uh, a authentic World War I uh, military issue rosary, and it was made out of this pull chain. Now, the, the original is... Like uh, dog is, tags. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you pull a lamp from, uh, pull a, from a lamp, you know. Right, right. But yeah, like dog tags. And so... I said, this is cool. And I went online and I scoured the internet and I could not find anybody that's ever done, done this. And I did a little re- research with it too. These were made by the government, <laughs> you know, and were it's hard uh, to issued. Fathom. I know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and issued to, um, I, I imagine it was issued to, to chaplains to, to have available for the men. But, uh, 1916, they made, I think they made all of them in 1916 and they had, they made so many that they had enough for World War One and left over for World War Two. Wow. I said, this is so cool. So I just, you know, I just thought, ah, I'm going to call a pull chain company and see what happens. And the guy's like, yeah, send me a sample, you know, and one thing led to another. And then I thought, then I decided I'm going to get the most powerful, uh, medals and cross on this. And that's when I got, of course, I got the Benedict Medal, the Miraculous Medals on there as the center um, for it. And But then I found the Pardon Crucifix. And it's the only crucifix I know of where a pope, Pope St. Pius X, said, if you carry this or kiss it, you get an indulgence. Wow. And, and I was going to ask you the story on that because it's the one part of the rosary I don't really know much yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's called a pardon crucifix. Pardon meaning indulgence. Okay, and uh, and it's Pope Saint Pius X for whatever reason uh, gave a special indulgence if you carry your kisses. So so this rosary, you know, based on now this uh, World War One uh, military issue rosary is power packed. And you know, I try to always too, and I t- I tell people to to have your priest do it, but do the Benedict Exorcist blessing on on that medal and right. and. Uh, 
and make sure that uh, you know that that thing is is truly powerful and that's you know i think that's what we're being called to in our times you know that that um to to really draw on god's supernatural strength a lot of this uh, steve is based on uh, one of my favorite scripture passages ephesians 6:10 it goes be strong in the lord and mm-hmm. in his mighty power put on the full armor of god so you can stand against the tactics of the devil for we're not fighting flesh and blood we're fighting dark forces in the supernatural realm and i, I think that's something uh steve in our times that we've lost you know we've we, we've we've become so secularized uh in in the world yeah but even in our church you know we've we've kind of lost its sense of the power of of grace in our lives and and uh that scripture passage with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And, right. and to really draw on that again. So, Father, the the military theme here that we're kind of talking about, it runs deep in the work that you've done. The piece that, that we published from you this week called Go Weapons Hot was all about being ready. So if you have to pull the trigger, something happens. So right. why is spiritual warfare, which you know really is Warfare. Why is it something we hear so little about these days, and why do you think it's really needing to become a priority again? Well, you know, I think we've gone through. I call it a silly season. I mean, I think we've just gone through this season where, you know, I I, I hate to be cynical about it, but I think we we made <laughs> Jesus kind of this effeminate hippie. You know, he's walk, tiptoeing through the butterfly the, from the yeah, mountain is what we yeah, call him. Yeah, yeah. A little, uh, you know, little birds tweeting around his head, and, and the resurrectifix like instead of right? the crucifix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you really read scripture, then it's not at all what he is. In fact, any time he got in front of a crowd, he'd kind of weed out the place. He, you know, unless you cut off your hand, you know, <laughs> better to go into heaven with one hand than to hell with two. You know, yeah, it was a little this, hardcore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he 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 didn't hold anything back, and and so why? Because he wanted us to be strong. I like to say God strong. You know, I, there's that old commercial from the army that said, uh, you know, there's there's this kind of strong, that kind of strong, uh, but you want to be army strong. Well, I say, let's be God strong. You know, that's why, uh, Steve, too, that I'm, I'm so dedicated to the sacrament of confession. You know, we've got to be right. in that state of grace at all right. times. Right. So it seems that that I am meeting an ever-increasing number of people who have had some sort of brush with extraordinary demonic activity. And so by that, I mean something that rises above the level of temptation and you know the spiritual inter- interaction that we can all expect to have with the fallen angels. We know that they're there. We know that this is the war between principalities and powers. But, but temptation is what we would class as ordinary demonic activity. But I keep hearing from people who see weird things, who hear them, you know, are sensing presences. There's this overall sense in people that I'm talking to that this activity is picking up and they're kind of having creepy things going on that they don't know what to make of. What do you think about that? Well, Steve, you're exactly right. I mean, being a priest, I I, um, am privy to this, if you will, but uh, I do have a lot of people approaching me. And, uh, you know, I've been saying this for well over a year that something's going on. I said, this is different, you know, what's going on in the world today. And, uh, and I, I kind of feel like, you know, it was like, like this rumbling before a volcano right. it was ready to erupt. And I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of feel like it did with everything that's going on with, uh, you know, Syria and Iran and, and, uh, just, you know, the demise of, uh, of, um, traditional marriage and, and mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of wallowing in this, this, uh, this culture of death that we're in right now. And it's just, it, it, but, but you're right. It, it, even going to the point where, where people are having these, uh, really creepy, um, encounters with something they can't explain. And, uh, you know, I find myself, you know, we're, we're doing, uh, a, a lot of house blessings, but <laughs> we're actually doing some exorcisms, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, to, to the level I'm capable of doing it, but uh, you know, we're surrounding the house with you know, bearing Benedict medals around the house. But right. you know, I, I've never had uh, 26 years of priest. I've never had so many requests that I've had in the last say year, year or two. Uh, so yeah, it, it, there's no doubt about it that uh, that something is going on uh, in the world and in people's lives. So there's a flip side to that though too. Um, you know, for those who've had some extraordinary experiences and they know that they've been real there's also a certain temptation i guess you'd say 
Um, Father Chad Ripperger says, you know, some people will look for the devil under every rock. Yeah. And in the talks that he gives, he kind of chides us and says, the devil is probably only under every other rock, you know? Right. And it's, you know, it's not to say he's not out there and that the activity isn't happening, but I think it's easy to start once you've had some of those experiences looking for that kind of thing. When you're dealing with an enemy, you can't battle face to face. And so you start to get a little paranoid. And, you know, an example, when I was, trying to prep for this interview and my toddler climbed up and knocked a bunch of glass bowls out of the kitchen cupboards. And I spent 15 minutes cleaning up glass <laughs> instead of doing what I needed to be doing. And the thought pops in my head, are they messing with me? Right. Are they sticking ideas in my kids' heads, you know, get them to distract me, and, right. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, are we supposed to be helping someone who needs to hear it, but I'm not going to write down the right question. So all these thoughts start going through my head. And so, yeah. you know, the question that I guess I have is, do you have any advice on how to guard against being, overly zealous in spiritual warfare because that's also dangerous. Sure. You know, I think I have some background that that helps and has really kind of shaped um, me and, and brought me to where I am right now. First of all, I have a, a degree in psychology. It's just a, okay. a, a, a bachelor's degree in psychology. So I kind of can recognize those kinds of things uh, a bit. And 26 years of uh, experience as a priest as well. Uh, but I also have, um, you know, I think the, the, the church itself was kind of wrapped up in a lot of this charismatic stuff, especially in the 90s. And I was just a brand new priest at the time. And, and uh, so I got exposure to that. And, and, and I was, um, was kind of um, uh, smitten by it for a time. But, uh, but I did see that, you know, there was a little bit of the overdoing uh, with it. And so I've, I've come to have that kind of, um, you know, cautious you know, um, really, really uh, um, try to find out exactly what whether this is uh, real or not. But, you know, I'm really kind of skeptical uh, at very first. Thing, that's my very first move is to be skeptical about things. Right. But, you know, like I say, though, it, it's uh, as much exposure as, as I've had to that. And I really do believe that uh, that, that experience with uh, charismatic has kind of just at least opened me up to the possibility of the supernatural um, you know, in this intensely secular world that we live in right now. But at the same time, it's also made me suspicious mm-hmm. uh, with those who are kind of like uh, wallowing in that. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, and, yeah. and, you know, there is obviously the, the fallen angels are much smarter than we are, and they're very, right. very good at sort of spiritual Aikido, you know, Aikido being yeah. the martial art that uses right. your own power and energy against you. So the minute. You know, they tempt you and tempt you and tempt you, and then you commit a sin, and then the next thing they're telling you what a horrible person you are for committing yeah. that sin and how God won't forgive you. And it's, I think it's the same kind of thing. They're bugging you. They're harassing you. You become right. aware that they're doing it, and the next thing you know, they're, they're kind of getting you to obsess about it and look for it everywhere. And so, obviously, uh, I think an unhealthy obsession or, or constant thinking about sort of the demonic, it, it can be a, a real spiritual impediment. So... Yeah, I, I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, it, you have to find that balance, and it's difficult. And you're only going to find that through grace. Uh, right. You're going to find it through prayer, and that's so something you've you know mentioned, and it's obviously a big deal in any sustained attempt at spiritual warfare, is prayer and then a solid sacramental life. So you encourage frequent confession, and you mentioned that earlier. You've also taken some unusual steps, though, to help your parishioners take advantage of your desire to give them that sacrament. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, you know, you just kind of, again, 26 years of priest, you just kind of assess the situation. And, and like I said, I, I just believe we need an army. You know, we need a, mm-hmm. a but we, we need a supernatural army. And so we need people in a state of grace. And I'm going, oh, geez, you know, we've got um, these times available, uh, you know, on the, they're in the bulletin and you can call the, the priest. And who really wants to do that? You know, you feel like you're, right. you know, make, you know he's busy and, or he's going to get upset or something like that. So I, I started thinking about this and I said, you know, there's got to be a way around this. And I said, yeah, I have office hours and, and gee, you know, I, I wish I could help people to understand that, you know, it's okay to call me. But what if we use modern technology and what if we made it so it wasn't so uh, awkward for people to call? What if instead they could check an app to see if I'm available? So, 
Yeah, so I would put uh, I put just on my computer. Yeah, I'm available for confession, and, and then they could get this app, and they could say, "Oh, look, Father's available for confession," <laughs> and uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, my doorbell's ringing all all over the place, uh, and and it, it it really was working well. Right now, uh, my app has crashed. I have some people working on uh, making me a, a new one, but the, what I'm doing now is I'm I'm putting myself on Facebook. Okay. And uh, and just letting people know, okay, you know, I'm here till about you know five o'clock, and and uh, feel free to come by. And all of a sudden, ding dong, ding dong, <laughs> I got people coming uh, right and left. But the other thing that I did was is my particular house has a very small little foyer area mm-hmm. at the front door, and my office is just to the left of that. Okay. So what I did, and and I also have a there's another what would have been an office to the right. I turned that into a little private chapel, just beautiful. But my office to the left, I actually took that door off and put another door on that has a screen on it. I love it. And, and so that what happens is they come to the front door, and now they ring an intercom button, and I'll just you – know, it will ring twice on my phone to let me know that uh, that's the intercom buzzing. And I'll just pick up and say, are you here for confession? Yes, Father. And so um, I just kind of walk over, unlock the door, and then I come back into my office, and as I'm closing the door, I just say, come on in. And then they come in, and there's a kneeler right there at my door, and they're going to confession. Uh, I'm actually going to get a uh, a little buzzer to buzz them in in the future, but uh, but this works pretty well as <laughs> it's well. It's fantastic. Yeah, this so is they... this is the new evangelization. This is what it yeah. looks like. Yeah. It's taking advantage of, of all of the things, the technology that we have at our disposal and making – you know, the sacraments accessible. I, I've never heard of anyone doing anything like this. And so, you know, I had five confessions uh, already today. You know, know, if I lived near you, I would have probably come today. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it really is great. And that's the other thing too, is weekday confessions are so hard to find. Right. Um, You know, so I live in Northern Virginia and usually the easiest way for me to get to weekday confessions without having to worry about the schedule would be to drive 35 miles into Washington, D.C. and deal with the traffic and go to the Basilica because they have, tra- I mean, confessions more or less all day, every day. Um, you know, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., they've got a break in the middle. But, you know, you can go and you know there's always going to be a priest there. Otherwise, it's find a parish, go through their schedule. It's different every day if they've got it at all. Most parishes, though, I mean, you know this, they've got right. maybe 30 minutes of scheduled confession times once a week. And it's Saturday afternoon when not only are people out running errands or doing things together with their kids because they're not seeing their kids all week. And then on Sunday, if they've got a good pastor, they're getting a homily. Don't shop on Sunday. Don't you know do all this stuff. Do it on Saturday. Well, how do I do all that on Saturday and right. get to church you know, and deal with the lines? At the traditional parishes, sometimes you'll have um, confession on Sunday morning before Mass. Um, but the lines are out the door. Uh, because it's when everybody goes because it's the only time they get to. So I guess what I'm asking, what I'd like to ask is, do you have any practical advice for people out there who are trying to figure out how to encourage their pastors to give them more opportunities to get to the confessional without making an appointment? Because like you said, it's hard for some people. You know, they're they're embarrassed or they just they want the anonymity of being able to just walk in and go. Um, but they don't know how to ask their pastor and they feel like they're being irritating. Yeah, it's not an easy answer to uh, question to answer because you know it's. Uh, I mean, j- just to just in all good um, kindness and charity, just come up to your pastor and just say, you know, um, if you offer more confession times, I'd, I'd surely take advantage of it. And mm-hmm. um, and I think too, you know, the other thing that, that came out of this, Steve, was that um, people just got the sense that confession was important again. I got to tell you, when I got here in two thousand four, there was only three people that were regular. Um, we're, we're frequenting confession. Three yeah. uh, now, virtually everybody goes. Everybody, and uh, and we're still in Nova Sordo parishes here. And, and but but uh, why? Because you know we, we're talking about it. I did this thing. You know we're we're making steps in that direction. We're say, we're talking about how important it is to be in that state of grace. You know, and uh, and so you know I, I think just gently you know nudging the pastor. You know, can you talk to us about the state of grace? Can you talk to us about you know, importance of confession. And, and, uh, I think, you know, the more that that's kind of on the, the, uh, the front burner, uh, that the, the more that I think the pastor will, will, will do what he can to make that available. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I've talked to enough priests who feel like they're trapped in roles that don't really serve their vocation. They're not administering the sacraments, they're administrating the parish. 
Right. And I would have to assume that there are a lot of priests out there who would love to have the people ask them for these things. Because if they try to make the changes themselves, a lot of times people are like, why are you doing that? Why do you want to do right. that? You know, why don't you have homeless ministry instead? Or why don't you do whatever? All right. this, you know, because we're busy. We're, we've turned into the church of busy. And, right. And we have these, I call them festivals of participation, where that's what it's all about. But it's like we need to be getting back to those sacraments. And to your right. point, emphasizing something as important, especially when, when, the, when the priest, who is the leader, does that, it reminds us of how important it is. And, and I've talked about, you know, for example, Corpus Christi processions. I wish we had more of them happening because when you take the Eucharist out into the world that way, it reminds not only the world around you, which is probably not going to be changed by that, but it'll be intrigued. But it reminds us as the faithful, look what a big deal this is. We got this permit and we're out walking down the street with the monstrance and we're singing these chants and hymns and we're, you know, we're showing the world that this thing that's so, I mean, it's, it's a really amazing thing that we believe in. There's not another religion that makes such an outrageous claim that the Eucharist right. is truly Christ's body and blood, soul, and divinity. And we're out there acting like we believe it. And I feel like when we do that, it creates an interior disposition that matches as opposed to, you know, when we have irreverent liturgy or when the tabernacle is somewhere where you can't even find it, you know, it, it, it makes us think, well, it's not that big of a deal. It must not be that important. We're not acting like it's very important. And I think that that really informs, especially children, but everybody. I mean, eventually it has that impact. Um, and I guess, you know, it helps me in a way to segue to the other question that I wanted to ask you is you've tr recently brought the traditional Latin mass back to your parish. And I'm very interested in how that process happens. What led you to make that decision? Well, you know, it was a process because, um, you know, I've changed in my priesthood. Listen, uh, early in my priesthood, you know, I was doing the goofy stuff. I mean, we, 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 I'd go to parishes and they had a tradition of polka masses. We did it, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, we never had a sense that we were dissenting or rebelling or anything like that. But, you know, th there was just this new awareness that came on. And I, I, I noticed a change even in uh, Pope John Paul II late in, in his uh, pontificate that he kind of focused more on, you know, this the Eucharist and, and the year of the Eucharist. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then in came Benedict. And that, it was his deal. Um, and he just enlightened us and, and uh, you know, get, get our, um, our, our minds around something like the Spirit of the Liturgy that he wrote, but just his amazing teachings on that. And then, and then when he brought in uh, Samorum Pontificum and, and, and said, you know, that we have a right to this, uh, this traditional Latin Mass and saw, too, that when you laid that alongside of the Nova Sordo, just there was a stark contrast that wasn't meant to be there. He called it a rupture. That wasn't meant to be there. And he, he called for then that hermeneutic of continuity. And all of this, Steve, just clicked, you know. And, and I, I found myself being transformed. My real transformation came in 1998. It was my 10th anniversary. And we went to Rome for a um, uh, sabbatical and uh, with th two of my buddies. But I went to one of those people liturgies. I think it was the uh, Feast of the Annunciation. And, um, and it, man, was that amazing. But I just went, yes, we need to be doing it this way because like what you're describing there, I think we've been wallowing in this desert of secularism, this anti-sacred. And I think people, they're just parched. And yeah. so when they see the sacred, you know, it, it just, it, it, their heart starts to pound and, and they, they know that they know that this is what we need. This is, this is what God wants to give us is that, that sense of the sacred, that transcendence. Right. And so like when you were talking about, you know, us, us uh, parading in the streets with the Eucharist, I see those old photos of people that when they would just fall to their knees when yeah. the Eucharist uh, yeah. would pass by and there's, that's just impacting on people. It's like, wow. You know, the, the, and so something important, something serious, something awesome. Uh, is passing by, and um, and uh, you know, Steve, I think people are are starving. They're thirsting for this. So we've been in this desert for far too long. And you know who's who's really drawn to it uh, are the youth. I, I and I think you know I have my own 
kind of um, uh, theories about that. But I think uh, folks my age and older, you know, I think we got kind of indoctrinated into, oh, we got to bring in all the new and the old mm-hmm. is bad and the new is good and all this stuff. And we just kind of got into that. And it's, it's hard to teach us old dogs new tricks, right? Well, uh, I think it's also hard just for those of us who grew up with sort of the post-conciliar experience of the church. Right. You know, for me, I was always on a trajectory toward tradition, but I didn't know it. I was born in 77, so never saw anything like a traditional Latin mass until I think I was maybe a senior in high school. Um, My wife is a convert to Catholicism. Um, She grew up sort of nominally Protestant. You know, her parents were from China. You know, her dad was kind of a Buddhist, but really more of an atheist. Her mom was a Chinese Baptist. But she grew up in Arizona, and she grew up around... Uh, you know, had a lot of Mexican friends who would go to mass and, you know, the San Javier del Bach mission is, is there. And she would always find solace there. There was this sense of something that was drawing her. And so when she came into the church, I remember there was a mass that we went to one Sunday and it was just, you know, we would look for the best Nova Sorda we could find because that was what we did. And after mass, they started the traditional Latin mass afterward. And I, I said, Hey, you want to see this? This is the way that the church used to do the mass. And she wouldn't leave. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, this, this is how it's supposed to be. Exactly. And she just had that sense. And me, I had all this built up like, no, you don't, that's not, that's the old way of doing things. And, you know, right. the arguments about it are overblown. But but the sense of the sacred, it does, it begins to, to pull you in. And, you know, you mentioned Pope Benedict. I mean, he said at one point, I'm convinced that the crisis in the church that we're experiencing today is, to a large extent, due to the disintegration of the liturgy. Right. And I think that it's, you know, it's become so cliche to hear lex arandi, lex credendi, the law of prayer equals the law of belief. But it, but it really is true. We worship God in a way that informs everything else. And honestly, for most of us, the mass that we go to on Sunday is is our catechesis. I mean, it is our time alone with the alone. And if we don't have an experience there that's nourishing spiritually, the rest of the week, we're not going to be clicking on all cylinders with spiritual warfare or anything else. Right. Um, and it's a big deal, but it's it's a hard thing, I think, sometimes, you know, to to express. But I have some questions from listeners, and I and I don't want to go too far over time. And I and uh, I think that some of them actually pertain to this, so I'd like to segue to those if that's all right. All right. All right. So, Stacy asks, "What can priests do if they want to celebrate a traditional liturgy, but their bishop opposes it?" And there was a follow up to this. Simon wanted to know, "What do the laity do if they want to ask for the traditional mass, but their their pastor doesn't want?" to give it to them. Um, it's difficult to overcome the resistance of the clergy. So I know it's a big question and it's a two part question, but I, you know, I was asked and I thought I'd pass it along and see if you have any practical guidance for people who, who really crave this, but don't know how to get access to it. Yeah. (laughs) I wish I had an answer to that because, you know, what we're talking about here is, is trying to, a priest trying to be as obedient as they can to Mm -hmm. their, to their bishop. And, and, and I, I know for me, obedience means much more than just doing the bare minimum. I want to know the mind and the heart of my bishop, and I want to do precisely what he wants me to do. And I know a lot of priests are there as well. And uh, and so it is it is difficult for for um, priests who have, have a bishop who just hasn't... Um, you know, hasn't come into this kind of understanding that Pope Benedict has, has tried so hard to to help us all to understand. Um, you know, I, I I don't quite know what to say, Steve, because uh, for me, if my bishop didn't want this, I wouldn't do it. I I, I just um, because uh, you know that this 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 church of ours uh, rises and falls by our obedience, and God blesses our obedience, and so. Um, you know, I would be in prayer. I would, I would, uh, you know, again with with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. I would start prayer campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would do it in such a way that it's not like you know trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, to to confrontational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, definitely, some people do take that approach, and I agree. Yeah, with you. they kind of use prayer as kind of a weapon, right? But not in the good way. And and so you know, I, I, you know, quiet prayer campaigns to. 
to ask God to to transform uh, the heart of their bishop and and to to pave the way for this. I I would as a priest, I would I would just do as much of a, of a reverent novus ordo as I possibly could, because I got to tell you that you know we talked about that I've brought the TLM the, the traditional Latin mass into my parish. We're only about uh, five or six weeks old with that right now, but it's been, you know, I've been here, what, about 10 years, and it's just been a gradual adding this and adding that to help our people to understand, you know, the the, 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 the power of, of reverence and, and how important it is to to uh, to worship God with with that awe and wonder, um, and so I would add things here and there, and and then it got to the point where, and when we added the traditional Latin Mass, about a good portion of my people who were going to the Nova Sordo started going to the traditional Latin Mass because I, I I feel like we we prepared them for that, and and they just love it. Um, but I, I think there's a there's a legwork to do. I think there's prayer to be had, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I, I just would not be confrontational at all. Yeah, well, I mean, very rarely does being confrontational get you somewhere. I mean, it's right. <laughs> it's something that it rarely persuades. There are times, I suppose, you know, people who enjoy debating. Uh, I will, I will claim guilt on that one. I do like debating with people, but at the end of the day, I don't know that you really move hearts and minds that way. Right. So I think I think it's good advice. Yeah. Um, so another question that we had is, uh, what are the signs of true spiritual renewal and seriousness that you see in 2014, and what are the problems? Well, uh, what, the way I see it is, you know, a lot of times we throw around words like uh, left and right or conservative and uh, liberal and all this kind of thing, but I like to call it um, devout, you know, a person is devout mm-hmm. versus someone who is um, maybe uh, casual in their faith, and that's what where I see I see the renewal happening right now is that it, you you see people more devout in, in the way that they come to mass. You know, yeah. you see more people dressing up nowadays. Mm-hmm. You, I've even seen in my parish, uh, women, more and more women are veiling. They're kind of getting what that's all about. Right. I, I, I preach about it quite a bit. I try to, you know, to stress that, you know, women are sacred, you know, but, uh, um, and, and, and so, uh, we, we see, um, a, a leaning more toward the, the beautiful, beautiful traditions and devotions of our faith. Um, but, uh, there's a falling in love with God. But then along with it is a falling in love with our amazing, amazing Catholic faith tradition and everything about it. It's just a, a treasure chest. And so what, that's the kind of – to me, that's the real renewal that's going on. When people fall in love with God, but you can see the fruit of that or, or you can see the evidence of that when they fall in love with their Roman Catholic faith and everything there is about the saints, Mary, you know, devotion to St. Joseph, you know, uh, the scapular, the rosary, you know, all of this. It's just, it's just amazing what we, what's been handed down to us. And, uh, and, and to just see people just light up and fall in love with all this. It's, it's amazing. And it's interesting the way that you phrased it, it actually sort of struck me and it probably, I'm surprised I've never thought of this before, but you talked about using the terms left and right, and you know visually those are very horizontal terms. Right. But but being more devout or more casual, those are very vertical terms. It's I'm growing growing closer to God, or I'm getting further away. Right. Which is is a totally different thing than left and right. I I, I always I use this image in in an article I wrote on on your uh, your uh, your one Peter five. I said, uh, you know, the beautiful image to describe that is Martha and Mary, mm-hmm. and and you had uh, you had Martha, who the Son of God <laughs> is in her living room, and she's just well, you know, it's uh, it's time there's a guest here, and let's get this over here, and you know, she's real <laughs> casual about it. Mary gets as close as she appropriately can, you know, right. at the feet of Jesus, and she's locked on his eyes, and she's hanging on his every word she's she's in, really in adoration at that point i mean that's that's devout yeah. you know and 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 jesus doesn't tell martha that she's chosen the wrong portion mm-hmm. but just said that mary's chosen the better portion so you know activity busyness um taking care of the poor all that is good but don't 
do that instead of, you know, at the expense of that time where we can just lock ourselves heart to his sacred heart with our Lord and, and, and develop that deep, deep abiding uh, devotional love for him. And so, you know, to me, that's the difference. I couldn't agree more. That's, yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And I think, you know, for many of us, it, it, I can understand why he had to tell Martha that it wasn't so much that she'd done the wrong thing, because I think it's easy to become too merry sometimes right. and say, man, this is the only thing that's important. And I just got to do this all the time. And we've still got to live out our states in life and, and the obligations that are you know associated with that. But sometimes you just want to dive deep. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and you can see how that plays out, too, when people are in that that sacred space in the temple, mm-hmm. you know, they're in the church and there's the blessed sacrament. And you can just kind of see how that plays out. Some people, hey, Joe, hey, Barney, hey, Sue, you know, how you, how's it going? And, you know, in the shorts and the flip flops and right. <laughs> high five. And, and, <laughs> and there's someone over there in the corner who, you know, can't even raise their head. You know, didn't Jesus actually um, um, demonstrate a scene like that to his disciples? You know, the person that was beating their breasts and couldn't raise their head, you know, and he says, look, look, you know, there's real faith. You know, and so that's, it's, it's good to have community. It's good to be friendly with people. But when God's in the house, (laughs) you know, it's time to do the merry thing. Yep. Yeah, it's true. All right, so last question. Um, Barbara wants to know, in light of the clear failure of parish-based catechesis, what kind of alternative program of instruction would you recommend to help to save the faith? You know what I tell people first and foremost for instruction is, is no, you know, first of all, understand this. Your children are watching. So, so like I said, when we're in that temple, when we're in that uh, holy of holies, how do we comport ourselves? Did, did we think that's a serious enough thing to get dressed up? You know, are we on our knees? Are we, are we praying with all our heart? Your children are watching you. You know, and so for me, Steve, you know, the first thing we teach our children is to make that divine connection. You know, and, and because what happens then? Then our heart pounds for the Lord. And then what happens? Then there's a real hunger for wanting the more that yeah. God can give us. And so the searching begins, the seeking begins, because now you're in that real relationship with God. You know, one of the scripture passages I like to use is the one where he's knocking on the door and the guy sticks his head out and says, I don't know who you are, you know? What right. do you mean you don't know who I am? You know, you, you, you ate in our company, you taught in our streets, you know? And what is he saying there? That, that, that he was content to be a face in the crowd is all. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that he, he, was attempt, he was content to make his relationship be that he's part of the crowd and there's that speaker up there. Uh, no, God loves that, that merry thing, you know, that, con- that divine connection. And so teach your children first by letting them see how much you love the Lord. And then, of course, loving God leads us to want to know more about him. It does. So as then, opposed to catechesis, it's more of a, of a self-directed, you know, I, I want to go read these books. I want to go learn these things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you got to be reading the books, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in, unless you're tearing into your faith, unless, faith, unless you're uh, seeking the more. You know, you, we don't graduate from uh, this understanding and, and un, uh, knowing the Lord. Heck, I, I learn something new every day. You know, I've been in this priesthood, like I say, 26 years, and, uh, but I'm learning something new every day. But, uh, but it's this, this thirsting for the more. And let your children again see that. And they're going, okay, you know, uh, there, there must be something great about this. And so, and then, and then it's, and then I would just, uh, I, I, I point them in the direction of the classics, you know, the yeah. classic writings of, of the church, uh, uh, the saints, um, and, and make sure that they get a taste of, of, of all that. And, and I mean, I think I would argue specifically to the point of, of the question that was asked. Parish-based catechesis isn't going to go away, and it can't, but it's insufficient on its own. Right. It's, you know, it's sort of the bare minimum. Right. Um, but if we have those parish devotions that bring people back to the church, and if we have, you know, the sacramental life with confession right. and with, with 
you know, really sacred liturgies that bring the heart and mind to God and are, and are pleasing and fitting and appropriate. I think all those other things are going to flow from it. It's not going to just be, oh, I got to go to CCD this Sunday. I'll just sit here for an hour and, you know, whatever. When I get done, then I can go, you know, watch football right. for the rest and, of the day. And you could see, you know, parents dropping their kids off. You know, oh, yeah. and, uh, I've graduated. You, you need to get this. And, and then they go home and there's barely a cross on the wall. Um, barely, barely a prayer of grace before meals, mm-hmm. uh, and they wonder why the 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 children aren't soaking in, right? You know what the church wants to teach them because, you know, if it's if it's insignificant to us, your children are watching. You it, know, it's not entirely different than those parents, you know, twenty thirty years ago who just trusted that their children would be formed by the Catholic schools. And they sent them there, and the kids all lost their faith because nobody right. was teaching it anymore. Right. I mean, because, I've heard from parents over and over about that. Well, it's a compartmentalizing of our faith. You know, that's something we do over there on Sunday or, mm-hmm. you know, in the classroom, but it's not something that's part of me. And so, you know, if you're going to catechize your children, uh, help them to see that your faith is who you are. You are a child of God, and I live that every moment of my life. And are I want there, to close, I'm sorry. To I was just going to say, are there particular devotions that you would recommend in the home that help to strengthen that connection and so it's not an over here, over there kind of situation? Right. Well, you, you, there's basic ones that, that I think we just can't leapfrog over. I think you got to do the bedtime prayers with your children. And, and again, you know, not in a hurried way or, you know, gee, we got to get these in or, mm-hmm. but, you know, let, make it special. It's special time. Uh, help them to learn some of the, the beautiful prayers of the church, uh, beginning with the rosary, obviously, but to, to teach them and memorize the memorari and, and uh, help them to learn maybe the St. Michael prayer, you know, um, help them to, to discover and, and learn a lot of these beautiful, beautiful prayers and, and pray that with them uh, throughout the day. And, and again, you know, try to make your home you know, that domestic church, you know, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to put sacred images on your walls. Maybe, maybe have a little altar over in the, you know, a little family altar over in yeah, the corner. We, we joke about being offensively Catholic. You know, it's like <laughs> we have images and statues nice. and crucifixes in every yeah. room. You can't walk in here and be like, man, you guys Mormon, you got a lot of kids. No, <laughs> no, it's not even a question. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Because you, what do you, what, what are you saying to your kids then is that, this is altogether important to, to us, and it's everything. It's who we are. We we live our faith. We, it's not something again that we compartmentalize and, and just kind of do uh, for a moment on, on the weekend. Right. Well, um, you know, we're we're out of time, but luckily I control the time because I'm the supreme master of the podcast. So you are, and I think it was a well well worth the time that we spent. Before we go, I did want to ask, are there any other initiatives that you're working on that you want to tell us about that are coming soon? Well, there's a couple, actually. Uh, One is I want to alert everyone that we're uh, going to try our best to get as much as this country, maybe the world, involved in this. But it's a 54-day Rosary Novena that's actually going to start on the Feast of St. Michael, okay? Okay. And it's going to go up until uh, the Nativity of Mary, and uh, but the the point of it is is that it being at the end of September, right there at the beginning of October, really, you're heading into the month of Mary. But what are you heading into there? You're heading into that family synod that's going in Rome, right? And uh, we we definitely want to be in prayer for that. Uh, but there's 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 just a lot going on in the world right now. Um, we're heading into very important elections mm-hmm. uh, right there at the beginning of November. And actually, Archbishop Lestecki put out a letter to all the bishops around the country about this. And so if you can uh, kind of put that on your calendar, the 54-day Rosary Novena starting um, on the Feast of St. Michael. And then the other thing, just let people know, is that we're, we're kind of in a campaign right now, and we're actually borrowing the name from the Battle of Lepanto, and uh, we're calling it the Holy League. And that's what uh, Pius V called it when he got together basically the remnant, the ragtag armies that were left over as this horde of evil was coming across the planet to, to, to deal the last swipe. 
Uh, and so we're actually putting together a holy league. It'll be a website, podcast, and things like that. But we're we're trying to do the, basically the same thing. That's we've fantastic. got to we've got to marshal our forces. We got to get the uh, together on this and do some serious spiritual warfare. <clears throat> we're hoping that this uh, this um, website, this podcast, and whatever else uh, the Lord sets us sets us to, we'll we'll do that. But that's got that's going to be coming up just in a few weeks, actually. So look for that. That'll be holyleague.com Simply. So um, look for that. So what's the best place for people to who want to follow, you know, what you've got going on? Yeah, I know you send out announcements about the Rosary Novenas and stuff. How, how is the best way for them to kind of keep in touch with you and follow what you're doing? Well, friend me on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I use social media quite a bit. Um, and I've, I've really found that that's an excellent tool. Listen, you, you know, the, the forces of evil own everything else. I mean, they own academia. They own the media. They own Hollywood. They own everything. And social media, and, and there's many people who are writing about this right now, is our kind of pushback, our, our, our way of getting our voice out there. And so I am unafraid of using this, and it's been very effective of what we've talked about, marshalling the forces and getting people, first of all, lit, but also together, united as a, as a powerful front against these uh, forces of evil that are just coming unabated in our times. That's excellent. So what I'll yeah. do is I'll make sure that I put a link uh, to your Facebook page uh, in the uh, post for the podcast so people can find that. And um, it's I'm fantastic. trying to learn Twitter. <laughs> Twitter is interesting because yeah. everything's so much more abbreviated. It's harder to have the real conversations there. It's good for, you know, firing out information like here's a link. Go look at this. But, yeah, yeah the conversations on there just get maddening. But so, Father, <laughs> I want to thank you very much for the time sure. that you spent. Um you know, I don't know how you feel about doing sort of remote over the internet blessings, but I think everybody would benefit from oh, yeah. from that. No problem at all. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. All right, Steve. Take care. You too. You have been listening to the One Peter Five Podcast, Episode Two. This has been a production of Signo Media. Copyright two thousand fourteen. All rights reserved. Please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5 and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash, once again, 1peter5. If you feel that we have provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but helps supply us with much-needed ammunition for the coming zombie apocalypse. And I'm pretty sure I hear them scratching at the back door right now. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.